This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, this is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. An art exhibition called Look East Gone West brings Singaporean artist Ho Rui An's work to Southeast Asia for the first time with video installations and films that examine the so-called East Asian miracle, uh, global capitalism and divisions between the East and West. So the exhibition is on until the 24th of October at A Plus Works of Art. And joining me to tell us more are uh, Rui An himself and curator Kathleen Ditzig. Thank you for joining me, you guys. Thanks for having us. So um, maybe the, the first place to start is um, with the fact that it's actually taken you quite a while, Ruyan, to have a sort of a, a solo in Southeast Asia. Um, it's a sort of homecoming in some ways. I mean, it's in Malaysia, not in Singapore. Um, what does it mean to you that it's happening at this fairly unusual time? It means a lot for me to present this body of work in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia specifically, uh, largely because a lot of the research for that work came out of um, Malaysia and, and, the, and the broader region. So it, it was, um, even when I was doing the research for this about, about three, four years ago, there was we were already talking to present this exhibition. So it has really been about, about three years in the planning, this show. Um, so initially it was supposed to open in, in April, and, but of course, given the circumstances, we couldn't open at that time. Um, and so it's, I'm very grateful that um, the gallery and everyone who has been involved in this exhibition from the beginning um, has kind of held on for so long and managed to present this exhibition um, in, at the present moment. And I think, it, interestingly enough, a lot of the work does speak to you know some of the geopolitical realities that we are facing. Um, and to that extent, you know, history becomes quite um, like a teacher to us, especially in, 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 in uncertain times as the ones that we are facing. What brought you to what brought you to Malaysia as the first place to have your solo exhibition? Well, it really was I mean it wasn't exactly by by design or by intention that I wanted to have my uh, first solo exhibition in Southeast Asia in, in Malaysia. It was really true because of the dialogue that I had been having with um, Joshua, who's the director of A Plus Works of Art. Um, and, and so A Plus as a gallery has also shown a commitment towards supporting research-based practices um, or, or practices like my own practice um, that, that require this kind of long-term investment. Um, so I was very, very happy that they were actually supporting the project from its research, which is about three, four years ago, um, to its materialization today within the gallery. Mm-hmm. And Kathleen, when did you, um, at which point did you get involved with this show? Um, I got involved with this show last last year, but I, I guess to answer that question, and Rayan and I have been working together for a number of years, and I think... If you, if I remember correctly, we had actually worked in a sh- on a show in November, December in New York at the World Trade Center, um, called "As the West Left," where we showed Asia the Unmiraculous. And so after this, Rayan asked um, if we could continue our sort of collaboration, also the discussions that we were having. 
for his solo. So this is really actually, in a sense, something that's driven by Rayan, and I've just been sort of like an interlocutor for him. And the uh, the title of the exhibition itself, Look East, Gone West, now that actually dates back to Margaret Thatcher's visit to Malaysia. Uh, Rayan, could you explain its significance? So the title comes from a part of this uh, a speech that Margaret Thatcher gave during her official state visit to Malaysia in 1985. Um, and, and during that speech, she makes quite a witty, but also for me, quite horrific remark, which is that, um, Prime Minister, if you look far enough east and travel far enough east, you always come to the west. So uh, the context behind this expression was, was, of course, the look east policy of Mahathir, which was launched just a few years before uh, Thatcher's visit. And a year before that policy, Mahathir launched the Buy British Last policy. So, so that really was a moment of reconciliation, you know, this speech and this meeting between the two leaders of these two countries. Um, and so for me, it, it, it does, the, the, the whole idea of, of looking east but ending up in the West suggests, you know, something quite comedic, but also you can also read it as a kind of topological horror, the idea that you, you're not quite, um, you're trying to escape from a certain place, but you end up at the same place uh, by taking making this loop um, through time and through space. And, and for me, that becomes also quite a useful expression to think through the geopolitical shifts during this entire historical period that we call, that witness the so-called uh, East Asian miracle, um, in which where for all our attempts to kind of distinguish between um, the kind of Eastern versus the Western mode of development, it seems that um, many of the assumptions underlying uh, this march towards capitalist modernity remain rather similar. Mm. But there is also this um, this very colonialist undertone to that remark, isn't there? Right. Mm. Um, is that something that you also, that, is that something that also has a place within your practice and the works that are being showed? Absolutely. So a lot of my work looks at the kind of contemporary global environment that we are in, but also trying to understand it against this longer colonial history and how much to understand how much that history shaped what we understand to be the global today. Um, so certainly, Lucky's Gone West, that very expression and also the very um, quote from Thatcher does speak to many of these colonial inheritances that are still with us today, even as we appear to chart a seemingly well, what we call an Asian path to development. In fact, what we take to be culturally distinct is very often uh, still working within a colonial framework. Mm. And um, I do want to I do want to get you to elaborate a little bit more on your process and your research. But Kathleen, I understand that um, a lot of this does intersect with your own work as well. Um, could you could you talk about that? That's a very big question because obviously, Rihanna and I have been working together on and off for the last couple of years. And so what happens is sort of, I do some research actually as part of a collective called offshoreart.co, which looks at um, globalized capitalist, uh, global capital flows and art. So like how, how is art as an asset moving across borders and how, how does art um, align with sort of like a neoliberal history? Right. And how how do we approach art objects differently? And also one part of this research is an investment and an interest in artists like Rayan, who are interrogating these types of histories and doing new research to sort of um, challenge the sort of mainstream narratives we have about capitalism. 
but also sort of the sort of racial paradigms that are sort of placed over capitalism that sort of, um, and I'm using this word deliberately and punning it in that sense, whitewashing some of these systems of power, right? Um, so how this sort of comes together is it's very hard for me sometimes, Rayan, maybe you might even want to sort of add something. It's hard for me to draw a distinct line because we've been discussing so much, but maybe the key project that's aligned or similar to this that I work on is this project on offshore structures and global capital um, and art. Um, in fact, when Rayan was researching this project or developing um, meeting groups and research groups around this, um, he invited me to uh, Thailand to actually present some of my research as part of this reading group, as part of the research that led into the development of Asia, the Unmiraculous. Um, so, on one, so to just recap, because that may sound very fluffy, on the one hand, there is the subject matter itself of examining the histories of capitalism, royal um, colonialism, so forth, into sort of offshore structures. That's one. Then the second part is actually working with artists and researching artist practices that interrogate the systems and create certain forms of using art to speak to power, as it were. So art is an exceptional site to speak to power. So I hope that answers your question. Clearly. No, I think it does. I think it, it sets up the background quite nicely. Um, so we've talked quite a quite for quite a bit without getting to what the works actually are. So, um, Rian, you know, there are two works being shown in this exhibition. Could you tell us which, what they are? And um, well, I suppose in some sense, what we'll be seeing. So the, the, there are two rooms in the gallery, and, and so each work occupy one room. So within the first uh, room is, is the installation, Asia the Miraculous. It includes uh, video documentation of a performance. It includes uh, this installation of some books. You will see uh, magnetically, a magnetically levitated hand model, which is usually spinning as you enter the room. And then there are also these 14 illuminated uh, LED um, posters, or I call them listings, actually. Uh, so the entire project, Asia the Miraculous, was co-commissioned in 2018 by the 12th Gongju Benale and the Yamaguchi Center for Arts and Media in Japan. Um, and at that time, I was building uh, a body of research actually around um, the question of crisis. And that was when I started to look at the Asian financial crisis as really that really kind of a historic moment of for global capitalism in fact i would call, say that it was the first major crisis of capitalism and globalism as we know it um and 2017 when when i was doing the research was also the 20th anniversary of that crisis and it did strike struck me how how little we actually talk about that crisis despite how incredibly consequential it has been uh you know economically politically in each of these countries, in fact. Um, so, so a part of that project was really to, to revisit that historical moment and, and to understand also what came before it and what created the conditions for the crisis. Um, and that's what led me to look at the, the so-called Asian miracle that came before. Mm. So the, the project itself includes uh, a lecture that's presented um, li uh, live, but unfortunately we are, are not able to perform it live in Malaysia. So we see the video documentation um, and then we have um, um, the installation of listings. And in, in the listings, you're basically seeing the narrative of the lecture being kind of readapted into 14 different episodes that can be kind of uh, um, examined by the viewer. 
The second work, um, if you don't mind me jumping in, Rayan, is student bodies. Um, so student bodies was, I remember this because um, student bodies was commissioned actually for an exhibition called State of Motion, A Fear of Monsters, which was commissioned, which was part of a commission from the Asian Film Archive as part of Singapore Art Week 20, um, uh, 20, uh, 2018, right, yeah, 19, sorry, 2019, 2019 sorry, yeah. 2019, the year after, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> I'm like messing up my years, but yes, 2019, and this was January, and this was an exhibition that I had put together, and so when Rayan was developing Asia, um, the Unmiraculous, I, uh, we were talking through this process, and one of the things that in my research actually for that exhibition that I came across was that right after the Asian financial crisis, there was sort of a boom in horror films, uh, first in J-horror, and then this expanded to a type of pan-Asian horror in the, into the 2000s. And one of the fascinating things for me at that moment was discovering that um, um, like the ring, like there was a type of monstrosity or monster making of, of figures of youth. And so I remember going to Rayan and saying, hey, this is really interesting you know, and this sounds similar to your research, can we work on something together? And so, and in the end, it just turned into a commission for that exhibition. Mm. Um, and I think um, one of the things that, if I may say, Rayan, one of the things that I love about your practice is your ability to move between text and image and, you know, bringing these things together almost in an editorial fashion. And we've spoken about this, like, how filmic, uh, sorry, how essayistic your films are, but how and how much your performance are based on essays and a type of um, rhetorics of argument, you know, of putting forward a thesis and so forth and using the art world to put forward these theses and these ideas that kind of make clear how power and how history kind of, the trajectories of, of history um, kind of come together, right? And so Student Bodies is the second work that's here. So that work was commissioned at the same time that sort of right on the heels of Asia, the Unmiraculous. And it, and it takes a thread of Asia, the Unmiraculous's research and focuses on um, the specific history and evolution of the student in relation to a type of development of Asian modern capitalism. Mm. Now that that what you just said, um, Kathleen, about about Rian's uh, sort of bringing together of these, um, you know, the essayistic, the, mm. the the visual, that's really something I want to pick up on. But we do need to take a, a quick break. Uh, we'll be back shortly. But I am speaking with artist Ho Rui An and curator Kathleen Ditzig about their exhibition called Look East Gone West. And that's on until the 24th of October at A Plus Works of Art. Uh, we'll be back after a short break. You're listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Sharmila Ganesan. I'm speaking with artist Ho Rui An, um, Singaporean artist Ho Rui An and curator Kathleen Ditzig about their exhibition called Look East Gone West. Uh, that's on until the 24th of October at A Plus Works of Art. So before the break, we got a little bit of an insight into what the works themselves were. Uh, but Rui you know, the thing that that is that is quite fascinating about your practice is that your work brings together, you know, visual arts, cinema, research, performance, essays. Um, what is your work process? If that's not a too, if that's not too broad a question to ask. Um, well, uh, the, the process itself is, is you can, as you can imagine, is quite broad and and takes quite a long time to for the work to 
it takes quite a long time for the work to incubate. Um, so each project of mine usually takes about um, one to two years to develop. And very often the process starts with an accumulation of images because that's really often uh, my entry point into a subject. So even in the case of um, something seemingly abstract, like a financial crisis, my entry point is through, through images. And very often these can be kind of very everyday images from popular culture, um, from films, from magazine covers. Um, so one example uh, of the images that I use within the narrative of the lecture is the uh, Time magazine cover. So there, 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 there is a selection of Time magazines within the installation, um, but I also analyzed and, and uh, talk about these covers in, in the performance as well as within the installation itself. Um, what was interesting for me was how the Time magazine cover almost became an index of how many of these individual countries entered or marked their arrival into capitalist modernity. And in a way, what, why what it was so significant to appear on time was because to appear on time meant that you had somehow graduated from the National Geographic, you know, whereas in the National Geographic, you would be depicted along with the plants and the animals. Time meant that you kind of arrived in a kind of different time, specifically the time of the future. Um, so, so there are these images that for me become very, very compelling and significant when it comes to really understanding or getting a really a sense of the lived reality of what it means to live through that historical period called the East Asian miracle or the Asian financial crisis. Mm. Um, it, it's a little reductive to call what you do um, video art, I think. But um, for, the, for the purpose of, of, I suppose, easy understanding, do you ever get asked why you like working with film? Um, you know, what can it do that other forms can't? Well, to a large extent, a lot of a lot of what constitutes my practice is the construction of narrative. So I think the the, the temporality is important for me, um, and of course, video is a temporal medium. It allows me to to build a narrative. But the way that I approach video very often is is that for me that that process is actually something like ninety percent is post production, so to speak. Even in the case of the film that you see, uh, student bodies, um, it, it wasn't a kind of conventional uh, or what we understand to be a conventional filming process where I have a script and then I go out and shoot and then I come and edit it. Instead, what I usually do is that as I am doing these field research, when I'm at these various sites and locations, I would be doing a lot of filming already. Um, so the filming is part of the research process. So, so it's almost like you jump from research to a kind of post-production editorial process. Because once I finish the research, I look at all the material I have, um, I think of ways to kind of piece them together and assemble them together within a narrative. So, so, that a lot, so the main uh, processes are, are really like research and then, this, and then editing, really. Um, so this is something that you see in student bodies, but it's also something that comes out quite strongly in, in my performances. And, and my performances are always... Uh, there, there will always be me as an, a narrator alongside a screen uh, showing a whole montage of images. So there's always this dialogue that I have with, with these uh, images that I've put together in a montage. Mm. Kathleen, um, what is your perspective on the power of this moving image, especially when it comes to telling the kinds of narratives that this exhibition does about power and, and, um, and capitalism, it, which are all sort of very amorphous concepts, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the things, Ryan, that actually I love about your practice and the possibilities of the mediums you work within, which are obviously, in a sense, 
So one of the things I don't know if you noticed in the, I'm going to move away from your question about foam very quickly and get back to it. But one of the things that is actually in the exhibition that's part of the installation is a levitating hand um, that is that is part of your performance ray on um, for Asia the Unmiraculous, and it's one of the key sort of narrative arcs that you kind of use to bring together. And it's also the magic trick when you know, um, at, like a climax in your type of um, narrative, uh, the hand kind of suddenly comes out of a table, and then there's obviously all the Time magazines and the other um, objects that are around it. So it's almost like you have an artifact or a type of set that you enter when you go into the exhibition and you're engaging with the documentation for the performance, I'm talking about Asia of the Miraculous. Um, and I think what it is that is so compelling about this it, that, that is that you, Rayon, what Rayon you create is sort of these spaces, these lived spaces that, um, you know, like your films seduce in a sense, they're very smart ideas, but they're also very poetic in the way that they use certain types of metaphors. And this makes, in a sense, the complexity of larger systems of financial instruments or the way in which narratives work in the media that sometimes are perplexing, right? Um, you, you, you make it tangible and you make it tangible through a type of lived experience and enjoyment of actually watching the film or seeing a performance or engaging in the wonder of a levitating magic trick of a hand, you know? So, um, Sharmila, I think that that's really the gist of, to answer your question, like the gist of why the um, Rayan's works can become so compelling in that sense, because mm. it's it's smart, yes, and, and it's very well researched, but a lot of the um, argumentation that comes out of it is really through the experience of watching or being involved or being um, consumed within a space and a lived experience that kind of you watch it, you're entertained, and it's only like later upon reflection that you're like, oh, okay, there's something off about that that now is making me reconsider these larger systems. Um, and I think I'll give you one quick example. One of the things about the second work, so we talked about how the hand does this and, you know, mm. you walk into the space that that kind of consumes you and you're interacting. Um, with student bodies, it's a cinematic experience. You go into a dark room, you watch a film, um, and certain parts of, of these films borrow from Hollywood films or, um, you know, Japanese horror. Like there's a moment that quotes from The Ring that you you sort of pastiche this into your narrative. And it uses sort of like the jump scare at certain points. So it really uses tropes from horror that work on a very affective level that are, that are sort of universal. Like you don't need a college degree or you don't need a greater understanding of finance to understand or, or historical knowledge to sort of have a response to that film. Mm. Now, Ruyan, when it comes to the question of um, form, the form of the work, you know, how or at which point do you decide what form your work is going to take? Or is that something that kind of sits in the back of your head from the beginning? Well, I think one of the advantages of being a visual artist working in the contemporary field is that you are not you don't have to kind of settle on a medium, you know, at the beginning of the project. So so I, I usually don't set such uh, strict parameters. Although for me, the, 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 the lecture becomes quite a productive form, especially when it comes to, to being able to present this narrative that I've constructed in its most comprehensive manner, because it's 
the lecture in Asian America is, is about an hour long. Um, so, so you can really get a full sense of the arc that I am creating. Um, so I guess I'm always drawn to these more kind of temporal mediums. So I guess that is, is the starting point. But in terms of how the work would eventually look, it really evolves as the research uh, carries up, carries on. Mm. Um, and so for, for the installation in A+, actually, it's, it's also probably one of my more ambitious or most ambitious installations in the sense that you really see there are multiple spatial elements. And, and to an extent, the privilege of being able to travel to KL last week uh, to, to install the exhibition kind of made me resensitize to to the whole you know spatial experience of, of installing a work in space of experiencing an exhibition in space especially during a time when most of we are we are kind of looking at everything through a screen right mm-hmm. um, so so that was an, an experience I, I quite cherished and and so for for us um, and a plus the gallery itself also lends itself quite nicely to to this installation because we the the, the entire space is supposed to resemble a bit like a corporate lounge. Um, so the, the some of the furniture um, has that look, um, but I think what's nice about A plus is that they also have a bit of like a storefront kind of uh, look. So so you can actually there, there are these glass with the, it has these glass panels that that cover its entrance. Um, so you can actually look in and look at these posters from the outside. Um, and actually, these posters that are that we created for the show, they are they were actually designed after um, kind of real estate listings, you know, that you see on in, in real estate offices, and and these posters will be hanging at the the storefront, so to speak. Um, so so in a sense, that the space of the gallery lends itself quite well to this inside, entire experience. Um, so so uh, so to answer the question, you know, uh, more concisely, it it, it it evolves together with the research, but it also evolves. An adaptation to the space mm. that I'm working with, and and I'm quite, and I think both of us are very happy with um, how the installation turned out. And I'm glad you you sort of um, alluded just now to uh, our current collective experience of COVID nineteen of of um, lockdowns, um, because you know these works that are being shown they were made earlier 2018 2019. With all that's happening this year, are you seeing your works? in a different way? Has there renewed, um, you know, significance or has the relevance of it changed in terms of, um, in terms of the issues that it takes on in terms of the narrative it's trying to, to tell? The funny thing is that when I was doing the research for Asia the Amiraculous, uh, so that was around 2017, 2018, there was all this speculation about a next financial crisis that would hit. And then there was all this talk about, you know, property bubbles in Southeast Asia, uh, about debts in China and South Korea, so so there was all this speculation, and and the and as it as we have kind of seen with the experience of the Asian financial crisis, and then the so-called global financial crisis in two thousand eight, it seems that every ten years we are seeing a kind of major crisis of capitalism. Uh, so of course, when the crisis eventually came, it was a very very different kind of crisis that nobody could have anticipated. Although, um, even though. It started out as a public health crisis. It is now certainly an economic, a social, and in some parts of the world, political crisis. And to and as many have already observed, you know what COVID and you know the, the pandemic has 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 uh, created was only you know laying bare you know some of many of these realities that have long existed. These uh, this incredible instability of the global capitalism capitalist system as we know it. Um, the vast inequality that we are we are 
that we already know of, but we are now really kind of experiencing it and, and living through it. Um, and I think what's been also interesting is really observing how the nation state really comes in as this key, polit- key almost like a political technology, so to speak, that mediates everything right now. You know, you, you, tend to, you seem to see the, the, the globalization game being reset almost mm. like 50 years back. Um, and now you have borders, you know, tightly policed and tightly regulated. And of course, these have serious ramifications upon all aspects of economic and social policy. So the question I was examining in Asia, the Amiraculous, really does speak to this moment because it was really about this contestation between the nation state and global capital. It was a lot about the developmental trajectories that many of these East Asian countries were pursuing um, that were not necessarily always the most friendly to international capital um, that, that some would describe as protectionist, some would describe as uh, based on a kind of developmental state model where, where the nation state had a very strong role to play even within a so-called free market system. Um, and today with the pandemic, we are seeing that the nation state has become uh, it, probably the most important player you know, in, in internationally. Mm. Now, we are running out of time. So just to wrap up, I wanted to hear from both of you, you know, particularly at this point in time, um, what do you hope that viewers take away from coming to this exhibition? Um, One of the things that I hope people take away in looking at Rayan's work or in in engaging with Rayan's work in general, and especially specifically with Asia, the Unmiraculous and Student Bodies, um, is that they walk away with an experience where, first of all, they they rec- they they feel compelled to reconsider some of the narratives that we receive um, through mainstream media, and they and in, that's that's the first thing. And also that they begin to take a pin um, take with a pinch of salt when we start to call things like um, the Asian the you know the the rise of the Asian century or that there are very specifically racial lines um, to systemic global issues you know which obviously i'm i'm sort of paraphrasing but we know exactly what i'm referring to when we talk about COVID 19 um and i think uh for me as a curator working with rayan some of them this actually becomes one of the most important rubs for some of the issues that we deal with today um in engaging with rayan's work yeah um so as with almost all of my work one of my key aspirations is often to shift the narrative to shift the way we talk about certain things and very often when we think about the first major crisis of globalism we think about the 2008 financial crisis and that is why it, it, it is called it was it is called the global financial crisis but to a large extent that first crisis was the asian financial crisis but precisely because it was called the asian financial crisis it was kind of being Asianized in that sense. Um, you know, many of your kind of Western European American economies did not feel like they could take any lesson from it because it was mostly a problem of so-called um, Asian crony capitalism. When, of course, in an, in an incredibly integrated global system, uh, when we are talking about any kind of systemic structural issues, these are issues that that would apply to almost every country in the world. Um, so I do hope that uh, this exhibition, by re-examining this history, can help to illuminate the present and to help us have a better understanding of, you know, what is really at stake um, in, in the conversations that we're having today, you know, as Catherine mentioned, when we talk about the rise of the Asian century, when we start to see these lines being drawn again between the East and the West, whether it's talking about forms of economic development or political systems. Mm. Thank you so much, Rion. Thank you, Kathleen. 
Thank you. I've been speaking with um, Singaporean artist Horoi An and curator Kathleen Didzik about a show featuring his works called Look East Gone West that's on at A Plus Works of Art until the 24th of October. For more information, go to facebook.com slash aplusart.asia. If you've missed any part of this interview or any previous front row segments, you can download the podcasts on bfm.my, on our BFM app or on Spotify. You've been listening to Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.